Bonchik's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bonchik is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Hi, I'm attorney Bill Bronchik, and in this video, I'm going to reveal in detail the new Dodd-Frank regulations as they apply to real estate investors. Now, Dodd-Frank is a big, 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 broad law. It applies to banks, it applies to mortgage brokers. So I'm only gonna cover what relates to real estate investors specifically and how to comply or get around or bend around the rules that exist today. It's been in effect for a few years now. So if you've been doing this and you're not following the rules, just make sure you do it right from now on, okay? Now, I assume you may have watched my previous video on my website at LegalWiz.com, which is the basics of the Dodd-Frank. If you haven't, I'm just gonna assume that you haven't, and we'll go over some of the basics as well as the advanced stuff, too. Now, what does Dodd-Frank deal with? Dodd-Frank deals with the mechanics, the mechanics of owner financing transactions. Okay, so what does that mean? What it means is it covers uh, transactionally what you can and can't do in an owner financing transaction as a real estate investor. Uh, it is a federal law, so it's pretty much the same in every state. The states do have a corollary to this called the SAFE, S-A-F-E Act, which deals with licensing and regulation of licensed mortgage loan originators, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of conflict between the two rules, but the SAFE Act is a regulatory scheme um, in terms of licensing, whereas Dodd-Frank, uh, the remedy's a little different. It's not like someone's gonna knock on your door or uh, bang your door down and arrest you for not complying with Dodd-Frank. What it does is it gives a civil remedy to someone you sell a house to, to sue you in the event that they feel you violated Dodd-Frank or in the case that you go to uh, foreclose them or kick them out of the house for non-payment, they can turn around and uh, sue you civilly under the law, okay? So um, it is applicable in a limited number of circumstances. And people got really bent out of shape when Dodd-Frank was proposed and said, that's it, that's the end of owner financing. That's the end of investing as a real estate investor. Everybody tends to get a, a little overblown when these new laws pass. But the reality is it's a very, very narrow place where it applies. So it doesn't apply to flipping houses or fixing and flipping or wholesaling. It doesn't apply to uh, renting properties. What it applies specifically, specifically, is when you are gonna sell a property to a person or persons who are going to live in that house as a primary residence and you're gonna offer some sort of financing, either partial or full or a second or a first or, you know, or even a wraparound or a contract for deed, land contract, any type of financing where the buyer is going to live in the property as their primary residence, Dodd-Frank applies. So let's talk about all the things where it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply when you're buying because you're not buying to live in it. You're buying as investment. So if you buy something from a seller, individual, with an owner carry, any variation, it doesn't apply. It only applies when you're selling. Lease with option, does it apply to that? 
Well, technically, no, because a lease with an option is, is what it is. It's a lease with an option to purchase. Now, if you disguise a lease option, uh, a disguise rather an owner financing transaction as a lease option, meaning, you know, 10 years, 20 years, declining balance, you know, with a dollar buyout at the end, it, it looks like an owner carry. It looks like a land contract, and thus it would be applicable. But your standard, typical, you know, one, two, three year lease with option to purchase where um, it's a fixed price and you take a little bit down and maybe give a little bit of rent credits. That type of thing is so far, the government has not uh, specified that that would be within Dodd-Frank. So again, to review, it only applies when you are selling to an owner with financing and they're going to live there. If you sell to another investor, doesn't apply. If it's a commercial property, doesn't apply. When you're buying as an investor, doesn't apply. Okay, so now that you probably feel a lot better that it, there's a limited circumstance where this is going to apply. Um, so um, if you're not within an exemption, you the first rule is that you must use a licensed mortgage loan originator. That's someone licensed by the state under the SAFE Act to originate the loan. What does originating mean? Well, basically it means they're gonna prepare a lot of documents. They're going to qualify your buyer. They're going to probably charge some points and so forth and approve your buyer, okay? Just like any other lender would, okay? Now, if you're within a, some of the exemptions, then you don't need one. You don't need to use one. Now, before you get carried away and say, oh God, I gotta use a licensed mortgage loan originator, or you have to be one, get licensed, um, there's uh, uh, quite a few exceptions where you don't have to. So let's go first with the exemptions. Uh, the first one is at what's called the one free pass exemption, okay? So obviously they didn't wanna restrict the individual who's you know mom and pop were selling their home and are gonna carry it or gonna take back a, a note for a second to be you know, hassled with all this stuff. So when does that exemption apply? It's very specific. You must be an individual seller as a natural person, not as a corporate entity, or an estate, you know, someone who's died in their estate, or a trust, like a living trust. Now I know those of you who are more advanced and know what a land trust is, we'll get back to that in a little bit. Does a land trust for every property fit you within that one deal exemption over and over? The answer is, I don't know. And my recommendation is, don't be the test case. All right, so let's assume that that does not put you within the one deal exemption over and over again if you use a separate land trust for each property. I, I'm pretty darn sure when they say person, estate, or trust, they're referring to your estate planning living trust and selling a property, okay? Now, um, within that exemption, now you don't have to use a licensed mortgage loan originator, just a few uh, small rules, number one, um, it can't be a NEGAM type of loan or a funky reverse mortgage or something like that. It's gotta be a straightforward amortization. It doesn't have to be um, 30 years, it could be 15, 20, whatever, but it's gotta be a regular type of owner carry. Um, it can't have a balloon. Um, and there's no real restriction on the interest rate and so forth, except that for the first five years of this loan, even under the one exemption rule, you must fix the interest rate. So you can have an adjustable rate note, but the first five years has to be fixed, and then after that you can adjust, okay? So, and the only other real uh, deal with the one deal exemption 
uh, would be that you have to make what they call a good faith attempt to qualify your buyer, which really means nothing. There's no specifics about that. So basically, if you're selling one house once a year, you're an individual, that means your wife or spouse or husband would be another individual. Um, your living trust presumably would be another individual. Uh, so you could probably use that exemption a few times a year, but if, if you are a corporate entity seller, like an LLC or corporation, it doesn't fit within the one deal exemption, even if it's your only deal, okay? Doesn't fit within the exemption. All right, so the next exemption, uh, in addition to the one deal exemption, is what's called the three deal exemption, three deals per year. Now, in this case, you can be an LLC, corporation, individual, or trust, okay? Uh, you don't need to use a licensed mortgage loan originator, but you have to qualify your buyer and you have to prove, prove and document their ability to repay the loan. Now, at first blush, everyone got all crazy about this, like, oh, I gotta document all this. Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, why would you sell to someone with an owner carrier that you haven't qualified? It's a little more specific than, you know, um, than just saying, oh, you know, you put fifty thousand down, so you're qualified. You know, and then the old days we would do that. You know, if it's a hundred thousand dollar purchase and someone puts fifty down, well, they're qualified uh, because they're not likely going to walk away from fifty grand. But you can't do that if the person has no tax returns, no provable source of income, no assets, no credit report, hasn't filed tax returns in ten years. You can't take that person because you cannot document their ability to repay. Okay, so that type of extreme scenario. You know, doesn't happen that often, but it's pretty much out the window. Okay. Now, um, next thing, no prepayment penalties. Okay, can't put a prepayment penalty in the within the three deal exemption, and no balloon. This is a tough one. Okay, I'll admit this is a tough one because if you're selling with an owner carry, whether it be taking a second, a first, a first and a second, or a wrap. Um, You'd like to have a balloon there, you know, to get paid off in a certain period of time. Under this new rule, uh, within the three deal exemption, you cannot have a balloon. Now, practically, you might be able to get a balloon, and here's what I mean. Let's say, and same thing about the interest rate has to be fixed for the first five years. Beyond that, you can raise the interest rate 2% per year for a total of 6% above the original rate. So if the original rate was five, you can go up to 11, 2% per year, okay? So if you started at 5% with your uh, buyer and, and said, if you pay it off before five years, then we'll give you a discount on the balance. If you don't pay it off after five years, the rate jumps to seven, and then the next year jumps to nine, and then the next year jumps to 11, you're pretty sure that person's gonna pay you off. Um, you know, unfortunately, you're going to have to wait at least five years, but it's a carrot and a stick. Give them an incentive for paying off early, give them a, uh, a penalty for, you know, essentially for paying you off later. Does that make sense? Okay, so if you want to put a balloon, you can't technically, but you can sort of force the issue around the five-year interest rate rule. Okay, now here's where it gets into the nitty-gritty. How do you qualify your buyer and what do you have to prove? Well, first of all, I would start with a regular standard Fannie Mae 1003 loan application. 
That's the standard in the industry. Okay, so make them fill out a 1003 or the equivalent, something that you know makes them state uh, and, and eventually prove what their income is, what their assets are, what their other obligations are, and so on and so forth, and what they make uh, relative to the payment. Now, um, the rules say you must consider, at least consider, eight factors. Now, unfortunately, with the exception of one, as we'll discover in a moment, they don't tell you what those factors should be. They just say you have to consider them. So you have to have some documentation that shows you at least considered all eight of the factors. Okay, so here it goes. The first one, that is their current or expected income. So you're probably gonna have to get W-2s or 1099s, tax returns, etc. Okay, just like any lender would. Get those copies, put them in your file. All right. Number two, their employment status. So if they're not working, it doesn't mean you can't take them. They may have another source of income, another way of making money. But um, if you get like bank statements or something like that, business or personal, that shows a reasonable amount of money going in and out each month, then you know you've at least considered it. There's no rule that says you have to take someone who is. Uh, um, only employed, you can't take someone who's unemployed or self-employed or is a trust fund baby or et cetera, et cetera, or receives alimony. There's, there's, no, there's no restriction on that, okay? Number three, what is the monthly payment on the new loan that you are offering this buyer slash borrower, okay? Uh, and what's gonna be the total amount of it, you know, relative to his income, so to speak. Okay, so can he afford the payment, basically? Uh, and again, you know, it, you may not be able to do that with a W-2 or a tax return. You may be able to look, if, if the payment is $2,000 a month, for example, and they can show you um, three or six months bank statements that show ten or 15000 coming in and out of that bank account uh, for the last six months, you know, that's probably enough. I mean, you know, I don't know if it has to be that much, but it's you can draw a reasonable conclusion that could support a two thousand dollar a month mortgage payment. Okay, uh, number four, we have to look at your monthly payment on other loans. So if they have a car loan or another house, a rental property, or something like that, um, you have to consider those. That's other payment loans, also other obligations. So if they have child support, alimony, uh, student loans, you know, paying on a judgment, whatever, you have to consider all of those. Now so far, no guidance at all from the government as to what those guidelines should be. You know, lenders have the very strict guidelines on all these things. Um, you know, it can't be more than this or less than that, but there's no place in Dodd-Frank that says it has to be X, it's up to you. Use your head, I mean, just use your, use your head, okay? Uh, number six, um, we have to look at um, other mortgages. I think I combined them before, I'm mistaken, I'm sorry. Um, other loans would be like car loans, 
uh, student loans, other obligations like alimony and so forth, other mortgages, as in they own another property or a rental or you know want something for their kids are living in or, or so forth or a vacation home. So you have to consider those. Those are separate, even though they're sort of the same thing. Right, now here's the specific one: debt to income ratio (DTI). Now you've probably heard that before in the lending business. There's what's called a front end and back end ratio. It's the back end ratio we're talking about. This is the total monthly recurring obligations relative to the income that they take home. Okay. Now um, the government says specifically on this one, it must be no greater than 43 percent, meaning for every dollar that they take home in income, the payment on the mortgage and other monthly obligations and loans can exceed 43% of that. Now, personally, I think that's a bit high. Personally, I think that is pretty high. I wouldn't even go that high, so I don't think that's a deal killer. Uh, I would probably only go 35, 40%, depending on what their you know, credit or income looks like, because you have to consider their, the last thing, number eight, their credit history, which means you would have to pull their credit. Can't consider it if you haven't pulled it. Now, maybe they can go on freecreditreport.com and pull it themselves. That's probably sufficient if, it, if it's accurate, okay? You have to at least consider their uh, a FICA score or in their credit history. And again, there's no specific FICA score that's required. Just look at their history and use your head, okay? And keep a copy of it in your file. Um, so that's it. I mean, those, those are the eight factors you have to consider. That means, um, you want W-2s, 1099s, and or uh, um, tax returns, um, verification of employment, what their monthly payment is gonna be, and whether they can afford it, and maybe uh, uh, bank statements to support that, and then other loans or obligations or mortgages, a debt to income ratio of no more than 43%, but personally I wouldn't go above 35-40, and what their credit is. now. Certain things you can use to prove these things other than what I've just mentioned. So for example, um, let's say that you rented to them for a while and they can afford um, you know, 2,000 a month rent and their mortgage payment is gonna be 2,000. Well, you know, they've already made it. They've already made the, you know, the $2,000 a month for several years, why can't they make it now? So that pretty much satisfies um, you know, the monthly payment obligation and uh, you know, the income issue because obviously they're, if, they're, if they have a history, then you've got something to document that will satisfy several of those factors. Even though they don't traditionally fall you know, inside the box, so to speak, with W-2s or tax returns, you know, they have uh, bank statements and they've got a rental history with you, that goes a long way. It definitely goes a long way. So, so what you might want to do is um, put someone on a lease with option for a year or two and then convert it into, into an owner carry and that way you have a better history to show if you ever got into litigation. Well, let's, let's talk about that. So when is this going to come up? It's not, again, the government is not going to you know, knock on your door and say, hey, uh, are you using a licensed mortgage loan originator or are you considering these eight factors? What's going to happen is more than likely, you're going to um, foreclose or throw out in some way a buyer who's defaulted. And then they're gonna hire a lawyer and counter sue you and they get all their payments back plus uh, penalties plus attorney's fees. So that's a, that's a big one, you know, it's, it's, it could be pretty painful. Now the statute of limitations is almost infinite in that regard. Meaning 15 years in, you sue them, they can still counter sue you there. 
Um, now, there's a shorter statute of limitations um, if they're not being sued, meaning they just went to a lawyer and just decided they wanted, they think they were ripped off. Very unlikely going to happen, and they're probably thrilled and tickled that you sold them a house with an order carry. So that's probably not going to happen. More likely as a defense. Now, let's look at the reality of this. If someone doesn't have money to pay you, where are they going to get the money to pay a lawyer that knows this stuff? Because I can guarantee you, 99.9% .9 of lawyers who know this stuff, and very few lawyers do, work on a contingency basis where they don't charge money up front, but they do a piece of the back end. Not going to find a lawyer who's going to do that. Unless, unless you are a prolific seller. So if you own, let's say, a mobile home park and you're selling mobile homes, which would be under Dodd-Frank, owner carry, you know, residences, even though they're not real estate, it's still uh, under Dodd-Frank. Um, or you're a builder and you're owner carrying and you have big signs and TV ads and radio ads, you know, that's something that a lawyer might go fishing for. If he found one person in his office that said, I was ripped off because of Dodd Frank was violated, and he concludes that, well, he might go, you know, putting out ads and saying, you know, who else was ripped by, off by these people and, you know, get a class action going, in which you, know, you could be in big trouble for that if you're the person. But you know, I, I, most of you, I imagine, 99% watching this video are not in that category. You're just going to do a couple of owner carries a year. You're within the one deal exemption. You're within the three deal exemption. Now, if you do this regularly and you're not an individual, then you're above three deals a year then you have to use a licensed mortgage loan originator to close each deal, which is not a big deal. I've done it before, guy down the hall from me, mortgage guy, not super busy. I said, what would you charge to take a 1003, consider these factors, and pump out a bunch of disclosures on a typical loan, bunch of paper, and he said, uh, 500 bucks. Fine, he charged the buyer $500 origination fee, and you're gold. That's easy. Now, on a mobile home, it's going to be a little tougher because if you're selling a $5,000 mobile home on owner carry and it's going to cost 500 bucks to originate, <laughs> that could be problematic. So if you're selling a lot of mobile homes, you might want to consider getting licensed yourself. It's not that difficult to get licensed. And you can buy the software uh, or rent the software online to prepare all the documents and disclosures regarding loans. Okay? Uh, let's see. What else? Um, we talked about the rate being fixed for five years, and then you can go two points a year above that, up to 6% over the original loan. The rate on the loan itself cannot be more than 6.5% above the average prime rate. What does that mean? That means if typically in the market, you know, people are paying 4% or 3% for loans, you can't charge your buyers more than six and a half percent above what's that you know average market rate. Okay, it's probably not going to be a problem. I mean, if, if market rates are three or four, you're not going to be charging eleven percent. You're probably going to be charging six, seven, eight percent, and most buyers are not going to pay eleven percent anyway. So that's probably not a problem. On a second mortgage, though, you're allowed to charge up to eight and a half percent above the average rate. So that's now we're talking you know upwards of twelve which again, most buyers are not gonna pay even on a second. But remember, um, if the ad, let's say for some oddball reason, the, the average mortgage rate went down to one, and you wanted to charge 10, which I just find no scenario where that's possible. But let's say theoretically you wanted to. Uh, as a second mortgage, as a second mortgage, you can go eight and a half percent, so up to nine and a half percent total, okay, above the one. Uh, if it's a second mortgage, so, 
if it's an owner carrying you on free and clear, you know, put a loan on it and then wrap it. And so it becomes a subordinate or second mortgage. If you don't understand what that means, I have videos on wraps and what that means, but just putting that idea in the back of your head, okay? Now, the three deal per year or the one deal per year. Uh, let's talk about affiliated entities, okay? Because that's where everybody's trying to look in the, you know, how can I expand this three deal a year thing without using a licensed mortgage loan originator? So. Um, if I have an LLC I own and I do three deals, and I own another LLC I do three deals, are they are those counted as three all in one or are they two separate legal entities? It's not clear yet. Um, the law has not been really clarified in that regard. Um, obviously, if you own one and your wife owns another, I, I would be pretty confident of that one. Under the one deal a year rule, you know, the land trust thing with one land trust per property, I don't feel very confident that that's a good argument. But on the three deal per year, I think there's a reasonably good argument that if you have a, you know, one LLC owned by you, one owned by your wife, and one owned by your IRA, those are three separate taxpayers, and, and each would get three uh, exemptions. Again, if you do this a lot, which is only a few of you watching, it's not that big of a deal to find a licensed mortgage loan originator who will do this all for you. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. If you have any follow-up questions on Dodd-Frank or how it works or what some of the rules and regulations are, please drop me an email, bill at bronchick.com, bill at bronchick.com. I hope you've enjoyed this video, and I hope I've, um, you know, not just confused you, you may be a little confused, but taken away some of the um, fear you may have had around Dodd-Frank and how it affects your life as a real estate investor. As you can see, most investors are not really affected by this much at all. Okay, and compliance is not all that difficult. If you would like, if you're doing a lot of these and you need someone to uh, help you comply with this and you know get your business company practices uh, in order, uh, so to speak, then definitely drop me an email. I'll see if I can help. Bill at Bronchick.com. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.